not to leave, not to quit when things are messy. He raises up godly leaders to run to the mess. And let me let you in on a secret. I think we're probably going to get smacked around a little bit when we get to heaven for making fun of the Corinthian church. I have all of those same problems in this church. Every single one of them in the last 17 years. And these messes are opportunities for God to use you and me for discipleship. Um, and, and it's pretty neat to think about the different leaders in that text. Paul, he's the apostle. He's the, he's the bold risk taker, and God is using him. Timothy's uh, timid, and he's gentle. They're like, hey, you're going to have to really welcome him when he comes. He's going you know, to hang back. He's, but, but God is using him. Apollos is, is Brian Barr. He's like the rock star pastor, you know, <laughs> preacher. And it was really funny. Apollos is like, he doesn't want to come right now, but eventually he will. Um, cooler than cool. But God is using you. Maybe, maybe you're in this room and you're like, I, you know, I'm Timothy. I'm not Apollos. Or I'm more like Paul, Whatever. But he uses different people and sends them to the mass, right? Doesn't overlook it. Doesn't mean it. The grass is not always greener somewhere else, right? And that needs to stop. Comparison is the thief of joy. We heard that yesterday. It's a ploy of Satan to stomp out ministry where he puts you. What if we raised up Christians, courageous men and women, who embraced the mess and ran to the mess and chose that which was hard over that which was easy? Don't bail, lead. I think God wants us to run to the messy places in our churches. Run to those spots. He's going to meet us there. And verse 15 through 18 we get this picture, and the second thing as I was praying is we need to raise up healthy elders and elder couples. In verses 15 through 18, I don't know if you noticed it, but there's a guy named Stephanus and his household who are there, and they're, they're lifted up. Paul, in the middle of the mess, says, look at Stephanus and his household. Look at these guys. Give them recognition. Um, Stephanus, it's interesting. Most commentators think he was actually one of the first elders in that church early church elder. He might just be a good church member, but most of them think he was actually the first elder there. Different writings talk about it and et cetera. One of the first converts. And, and what challenges me is in the middle of all of that mess at Corinth, which you all know about, you've studied, you've read, um, the answer and the solution to the mess isn't a better marketing strategy, isn't a better band, isn't a better preacher. It's, hey, look at these healthy elders. Here's what you need. What you need is Stephanus, Fortunatus, and Achaia. You need this household. You need these guys. Few things edify a church more than long-standing, devoted, refreshing elders who are always among their people. You could even say um, healthy members who are always among their people. Um, not a self-help book is held up. Not a marketing strategy. Not a band, a preacher, or a new building, but healthy, long-standing elders. You know, there's four ways that Stephanus and his household stand out in this passage. And so if you're um, not an elder in this room, aspire to this. If you're an elder in this room, aspire to this. If you're somebody who's looking to raise up elders in this room, consider this, all right? Because sometimes I think we look at the wrong stuff. we got to change that sheet a little bit, what we're looking for. They're held up in three different ways. Verse 15, if you want to look at it in your... 
in your, in your scriptures. It says, Stephanus was the first convert in Achaia. They have devoted themselves to the servants of the saints. Be subject to them. I rejoice that Stephanus is coming, for he has made up for your absence, and he has refreshed my spirit as well as yours, right? So four things that are there that are held up this long-standing member in the Corinthian church, this long-standing, I think, elder in this early Corinthian church. Four ways him and his household stand out are, are these. Number one, he's actually converted. Do you notice that? He's like, these are the first converts in Corinth. And so in the midst of the mess of that church, um, Paul can say, look at this couple. Look at this household. They love Jesus. They, they know Jesus. They know how to walk this out in parenting and marriage and issues of spiritual gifts and whatever issue you find here. These are the model people. And just a side note, if Stephanus can stick it out in Corinth, you can stick it out wherever you are. All right? But verse 15 says not only were they like these model people you could hold up, aspire to that, but two, um, they devoted themselves to serving God's people. Uh, To be an elder is to serve God's people, not to serve yourself, but be devoting to serving the people of God. They're just known for that. Everybody else is known for posturing in Corinth, is known for backbiting, is known for you know, craziness, whatever, they're, they're known, they just keep serving God's people. They just do it. That's their life. We follow Jesus who came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Three, in verse 17, it says, um, they kept filling holes like they made up for your absence. Have you noticed that? They just kept filling holes when nobody else would. They made up for the absence of the church members who show up once a month, you know, <laughs> or whatever, if lucky, if that, no, you know, and, and the fourth way is they're known as a refreshing presence among God's people. They refresh my spirit as well as others, right? He says that. This is, we need to aspire to this as elders. We need to aspire to looking for people who are these folks. That when others are around them, they're a model of Christian faith. They're devoted, carrying a load, to serving other people. They're willing to push a broom and fill a hole when others are needed. Right? And they're a refreshing presence. I actually want you to be around them. You know? (laughs) And you want to be around them. we got to raise up elders like that. We've got to um, run to the mess. And three, in this text, so I think it's awesome, the third thing I think the Spirit dropped in my heart for us is we got to pursue genuine church partnership. Um, pursue genuine church partnership. It's all over those ending verses. I love these flyover verses because we get to pull back the curtain and you like get to see what the early church is like. Like we wouldn't have this if we, if we didn't have these verses. We wouldn't know what's going on in this area if, if we didn't have these verses. So we pull back the curtain a little bit, and in verses 19 and 20, we, we see something. The churches in Asia sending the Corinthian church greetings, right? Paul, or Priscilla and Aquila, like, I send you hearty greetings in the Lord. Like, they long for this messy church. They don't quarantine them off, right? Oh, these guys are messy. I tell you what, nobody go there. Let's suction them off. They're too, they're too messed up. Get them away from everybody else. No, they actually long for them. 
They long for them. And, and, and this partnership, you're starting to see it. We're getting a picture of it. Church to church in Asia, Priscilla and Aquila. Church to church, heartily partnering together, longing to be with one another. And, and the Corinthian church doesn't go to partnership because they're strong. They go to partnership because they're a mess, right? They, they need it. I don't know about y'all, but our church is not strong in every area. Are you? Is your church? No, there's, there's some places we're a mess. And it's okay. It's all right to admit that. But we need strengthening from One Life and from Fellowship Jonesboro and from Real Church and from Journey Community in DeSoto and from Cross Point in St. Louis and Indiana and wherever else we got here today. You know? There's, there's a partnership where we strengthen one another and help one another. Um, other churches don't cast off the Corinthian church, but actually long for them and long to strengthen them. And we can help each other grow up. We can help each other raise up elders. We can help each other raise up church administrators and kids and youth pastors and ministers and worship ministers and community group leaders and elders. We can do that together. Supporting one another, celebrating one another, cheering one another, genuinely longing to be together with one another. I left one movement and joined this movement. It's a long story. It's not a problem in the past, but just came here for this reason. Partnership. Genuine family. Relationship. Battle buddies who call and show up when I'm broken. Get on planes. Fly across the country to hold up my arms, you know? We're going to hear about our values in a little bit, but I do want you guys to hear like I love you. Bontair Church, I die for you. Real Church, love you, man. Yearn for you. I yearn for you. That's Paul in Philippians. Who talks like that? For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with affection of Christ Jesus. I yearn for you. I went there. All right, four. Let's keep going. A fourth thing we can learn from this, not just to pursue genuine church to church partnership, but to grow up. Right? Verses 13 and 14. Um, you see it. I mean, you've been to every man's conference that talks about it, right? Be watchful, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong, let it be done in love. That's one spot where he's challenging them to grow up, right? Another spot is in verses 21 and 22. You might overlook it. Um, but he says, I'm writing this with my own hand now. If anyone has no love for the Lord, let him be what? Accursed. And then our Lord come. In the same sentence, Paul says, anathema and maranatha. You're cursed. Come, Lord Jesus. <laughs> I think he's inviting them to grow up. Paul loved them enough to have expectations for them. And God loves us enough to have expectations for us. To not be naive, but to be watchful. I've had friend after friend fall. Don't be naive. Guard your heart. Stand firm. Plant the flag in the ground. God, you've determined the allotted periods and the boundaries of my life. You've set the boundary lines. I'm going to stand firm and where you have me. Act like men. 
says, be a contributor. You know, don't be a taker. Don't be a consumer. Provide for your family. Provide for your church. Be a contributor. Be strong. It's going to take courage. But do everything in love. If you do the first four without the fifth, you're a mess. You know? Andrew Wilson put it this way. The first four without the fifth will lead to disaster. And sadly, we don't have to look very hard or too hard to find examples of that. we got to do everything in love. And that's what verses 21 and 22 are about. That Maranatha and anathema in the same sentence. If you lack love for the Lord, you're cursed. Why does he say that to them? He wants them to grow up. To grow up in their love for the Lord. To not grow stale in that. But to have their affections stirred for the right things. You don't want cursing, you want blessing, right? Come on, Jesus. Stir up their love. He wants them to grow in their love for the Lord. He wants their heart to be refreshed. And then these things come. Be watchful, stand firm, act like men, be strong. Those things come. You want to do those things as you love the Lord. Our missional effectiveness as a movement will not outpace or outlast our love for the Lord. I love our worship times. I'm deaf, if you didn't know. I have hearing aids, but I can hear you sing. (laughs) I love our time. I love hearing your heart. I love that expression of shouting. Like, what? I felt like Braveheart. (laughs) But don't lose this, right? Don't lose. Jesus loves me. This I know. You know? Grow in our love. Don't lose our love. Grow on the type of love for the Lord that leads you to love your brothers and sisters in your church, your leaders, other churches. Grow on your love. And then finally, a fifth instruction there. So we run to the mess. We grow up healthy elders and members. We pursue genuine church partnership. We're going to talk about that in a minute. We got to grow up. We got to grow up. But number five, swim in grace. Verse 23 says, the grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. I don't know about y'all, but if I was Paul, he's an apostle of this church, I might be like just smacking him, you know, like, what is wrong with you guys? You know, but he's like grace for you. And then he says this, my love be with you all in Christ Jesus. The end of this book and these flyover verses ends with there's grace for you and there's love for you. Boy, he said some tough stuff in the book to him, right? He sorted some things out. But how does he end? Never forget this. There's grace for you. There's love for you. We got to swim. Swim in grace. And the way I like to think about it is this. This changed everything for me. I am okay in Jesus. Do you know that? Like, do you believe that? I think that's gospel-centered theology in a nutshell. I am okay right now and forever in Jesus. There's grace for me. There's love for me. 
When the crowds are big, I'm okay in Jesus. When the crowds are small, I'm okay in Jesus. When the children's ministry worker does not show up because they forgot they were in Aruba, I am okay in Jesus. It's happened. <laughs> when the song falls flat, I'm okay in Jesus. When the people are a mess, I'm okay in Jesus. When the tech breaks, I'm okay in Jesus. When the sermon stinks, happens more than you think, you know, I'm okay in Jesus. Can you say that? I'm okay in Jesus. We got to swim in that grace through many dangers, toils, and snares. I have already come. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far. And what? Grace will lead me home. I'm okay. You're okay. Not because of your status, not even because of your effort. Not because of your ability. Not because of your record, but because of Jesus' record. Because Jesus lived the life we should have lived, and we did not. He died a death on a cross that we deserve. We don't have to. He bled out. He was buried, crucified. Put in a grown tomb. Resurrected to life again. He's alive, and I'm okay in Jesus. And you're going to need to know that in ministry. <laughs> and you'll understand it more as you exaggerate your abilities. You make mission and multiplication your highlight reel. You give in to idolatry. You love others more than, or your, yourself more than others. You promote your work instead of his. You lose hope, lack patience, suck at prayer sometimes, hoard things for ourselves, isolate, gossip, slander, love man-made labels, make poor choices, see the bad in others, try to actually annihilate your enemies, get entangled by the world, forget the mercy of God and pretend like, you know what, I deserve more, Lord. As all of these things happen and you still hear, forgiven, loved, you're mine. I'm okay in Jesus. There's coming a day when I'm going to drag my sorry can across the finish line. Not even a close to being 100% repented. And you know what? I'm going to hear, oh, you're loved, forgiven, mine. I'm okay in Jesus. I'm done. <laughs> uh, yeah. mm. Mm.